Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It is my pleasure to be joined by Kelly here today. Kelly suffers from PSSD and she has kindly agreed to share her story with us. So Kelly, I'm going to turn it over to you. Please go ahead and um, you know, start start from the beginning. You know, how, how did you end up taking medications, and then tell us what what happened to you afterwards. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I had a baby in December 2020, and when I was two weeks postpartum, I had a lot of situational stuff going on in my house. It just really didn't seem like a really safe and supportive environment for the postpartum period, and I ended up leaving my house, um, unfortunately, and I was under a weight restriction. So I could, because I had a C-section and I couldn't carry the car seat with the baby. So I was separated from my baby during that time for a little bit while I tried to get away from the situation in my house. And when I came back to kind of stick up for myself a little bit, I was um, told that I should go get some help. So I did, I called my OBGYN and I told them what was going on, and they said that um, talking about the situation, I probably wasn't going to get anywhere, but they recommended that I go to therapy to try to deal with those things, and they also recommended that I go on medication to get me through the difficult time that I was in, and I was really hesitant about that. Um, I felt like I was kind of being pushed into a label of like a postpartum depression kind of label, and that was upsetting to me because I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong or had those feelings to be diagnosed with something like that. And um, that she left the room and came back and said that there was this medication that was the least side effects and it was really easy to come off of and that I could just take it for a couple months until I felt better and then I can go off of it. And that medication was escitalopram. And she gave me a 10 milligram prescription for that. And I started it that day. And um, so do you think, I mean, did, did they help you in any other ways? I mean, it sounds like, you know, the, the living situation at home was, was not good for your mental health. I mean, was that a part of the plan at all to address that or have family support or was that kind of, I don't know, how much did they really engage with, I guess, the problems that you were going through that was leading to how you were feeling? Um, well, at the time, I was going through a lot. I mean, I could say, like, the pandemic happened and having a yeah. pregnancy during the pandemic was its own challenge. But my mom was also um, late-stage terminal breast cancer at that time. And I also found out I had the breast cancer gene, and I was preparing for a preventative double mastectomy. So I really needed a lot of love and support at that time. And I was really kind of putting all of my my hope and anticipation in that postpartum moment of meeting my baby. It was just, it was the, like the light at the end of the tunnel for all the things I was dealing with. And so I was really protective of that time. And so when things kind of blew up in my face, so to speak, I took it really hard. But the people in my house that were causing problems, they were all adults. And I really felt like someone needed to protect me and make me feel safe. And mm -hmm. um, 
people just really weren't understanding that I was in such a vulnerable position. And I didn't really know how to speak up because my fight or flight kind of kicked in where I just wanted to flee and feel safe. And I thought the doctor could kind of help bridge that for my family and maybe provide us some resources where they could understand more what I needed. Um, but instead, I just kind of felt like it was all on me, like something was wrong with me. And when I got put on the medication, it kind of validated what everyone else was saying. Um, so you were, I was the one that was upset, so it had to be something wrong. With you were me. having the problem. And uh, I'm sensing that this wasn't just, I guess, um, you and your partner living in the house, right? There were other people there. There was someone there that was supposed to be helping and um, yeah. just like slamming doors and yelling okay. and emotional outbursts. And it just was like something I didn't want to be around. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, all right. So, so Lexapro's told, um, you know, easy to come off and they just kind of, you know, and they prescribe it for you. And, and what, what was it like taking the medication? Was it helpful at all? Um, any, any benefit to it, even maybe a little bit at the start or, or nothing? Yeah. I think, I mean, this was my third baby that I've had and it kind of always felt the same. Like you have that really magnetic draw to your baby and you're just on cloud nine and like just the, having the baby on your chest, you just feel this overwhelming feeling of, um, of joy and just perfection of this beautiful life. And yeah. from that first pill, like that part of me was destroyed. It was like, every feeling I had just became completely blunted. Um, I can only equate it to feeling like I got whacked in the head because I felt this intense head pressure and my um, had to close the blinds and the curtains because I became so sensitive to the light that was coming in. It gave me a migraine. I felt nauseous and just kind of knocked off my feet a little bit to the point where I had to lay down and and I looked at all of the side effects and they said that that was all part of it. That was all listed. So I felt like my body just needed to adjust to it, that this is what that adjustment period was going to be like. And, um, but it was, it felt, it, it stunned me like instantly, just didn't feel good. Okay. And so yet what happened next? You know, um, I, I imagine, so you're kind of sitting there with these side effects, just going, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. Yeah, tell, tell me the story as it goes on from there. Um, so as a, and a couple of weeks in, the headache sort of got less and less, but the head pressure remained. Um, I started to feel like I can get out more. I was walking a lot, trying to lose the baby weight, and I was getting out and, and living life. But then I started to have really bad GI issues like IBS, IBD. And uh, I thought it was stress related, but it was like nothing I had ever experienced in my life. Um, I just could not digest food properly. And then. And, and so when people say IBS, IBD, you know, I usually think like bloating, alternating diarrhea and constipation. Um, that's, I mean, it, I mean, we're talking like those were the kinds of symptoms that you all of a sudden developed or was there something different in the nature to them? Um, it was like the worst, worst diarrhea ever. It was like, okay. I would go on the forums. It would, they would say like, it's the infamous Lexapro diarrhea, like that it's a common, but it's not okay. something that I saw that was listed 
in the side effects. When I got home, I did look up drug side effects and I did read everything from the pharmacy and I didn't see anything like that. So it was, it took a while for me to put it together. And it wasn't until I went on a forum that I even saw that that was a common thing with, with the Lexapro. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So please go on. Um, and then I would say about two months into taking it, I started realizing I was having random like ideation that was really unprovoked and not me at all, not my character at all, not anything I had ever felt before the medication. Um, just like pop in my head that um, I should just X, Y, Z. And then it, it was a huge red flag for me because I was like, this isn't me. And this medication is supposed to treat this very thing. Why am I feeling like this all of a sudden? And that's when I was like, I need to get off this medication. And so when you say ideation, uh, do you mean like suicidal thoughts or are you just having, you it's know, like random intrusive, weird thoughts? Yeah. Just intrusive, like suicidal thoughts that um, there was no reason why I would okay. feel that way. Okay. And so how long were you on the med for before that started happening? Two months. Two months. Okay. All right. And, and that's uh, interesting. You You knew enough to say that it was – Maybe this is drug related and this is a problem. Yeah. yeah. Was this your first go around on meds or had you taken antidepressants before? I have in the past. Um, I had like some fainting spells when I was in my 20s. Um, I'm 41 now. So I'm actually yeah. like one of the oldest people I know that have PSSD. But in my 20s, I took Wellbutrin because I had some fainting spells. And I took it for like three days and I felt those same like intrusive thoughts. And I was like, no more. And I stopped taking it immediately and those thoughts went away. So that was another reason why when I was feeling that way on the Lexapro, I was like, this has, this is something that I have felt before. And after I had my second child, I had a lot of really bad symptoms. I was shaking and I was dropping a lot of weight and I couldn't sleep. And after eight months of suffering, I went to the doctor and I told them my symptoms and they put me on Zoloft immediately. And I took a blood test and it came back that I was very hyperthyroid. Um, and I was diagnosed postpartum thyroiditis that I had mm-hmm. had for eight months. And I asked them why I was on the Zoloft and they said, you know, um, if you think it's working for you, just stay on it. And because I was also put on the thyroid medication and um, I just like, I didn't want to take it, but they did an eight month. It took me eight months to get off of it because the withdrawal was so bad that I tapered for eight months, which is why this time around, I said, I don't want to take something that's going to be hard to come off of. And that's going to have a lot of side effects. And when they gave me the acetylopram, that was like the guarantee that they gave me that I wouldn't experience that again. Okay. So um, fast forward back to when you're coming off the Lexapro now, uh, what was it like coming off the medication? Was it pretty straightforward? Was it, was it not yet? Tell, tell what, what was that like? Well, at the time, so when you have a baby, your primary care manager or physician is your OBGYN. And then after your last postpartum visit, you are set up with a new doctor. And so at this time I was in between doctors. So I really had no 
doctor to go to to manage any of my symptoms or problems with escitalopram. And just going off of my conversation that I had when I was prescribed it, that I could just stop taking it after a couple of months. If when I was ready, I just decided to stop taking it cold turkey, um, which was a very bad choice in hindsight because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was putting myself into at that time. And, and were you just on like five, 10, 20? How much had you got even gotten up to in, in two weeks of being on, on it? Uh, the escitalopram, I was just on mm-hmm. 10 milligrams the entire time. Okay. okay. And so what happened? So you called Turkey. What happens next? I cold turkeyed and within a couple days I had like really bad tremors and I was shaking in bed. Like I was, I felt like I was freezing to death, like, but it was, uh, April in Arizona. So it didn't make any sense. And, um, I just, uh, tried to sleep it off and didn't really know what was going on. I was very, very dizzy, like seasick kind of feeling, um, nauseous, very vivid dreams. Uh, but then everything I looked up was like the, the withdrawal only lasts seven to 14 days. And so I just thought I would just be a tough, tough stuff and just get through two weeks of a withdrawal and that it would so slowly like taper and go away mm-hmm. the, the symptoms. And, um, and so I guess, how did you, um, I mean, did, did the symptoms resolve? Did they get worse? What, what happened kind of going on, going forward from there? So much happened. So it's hard to explain it, but it seemed to, um, it kind of seemed to hit me in phases. So I did have like an initial withdrawal period where it actually seemed like it was really mild withdrawal, but then like the four to six week mark after I stopped the medication, it was like, um, like a grenade hit me. It was, it just started to get so, so much worse. And say like the five, six week mark, I was actually on a business trip in Hawaii and my vision started moving like textures on walls and in carpet started moving. I had full body aches. I couldn't walk any of the trails. People were having to help me. Um, I started to have trouble word finding and I couldn't interpret speech. I couldn't remember if I would just ask the same questions over and over again because I wasn't remembering that I had asked them already or what people were telling me. I could not use the bathroom at all. I could not have a bowel movement at all. Um, And that's also when I realized that my sexual function had completely stopped. Like I had, I was completely numb in my genitals and everywhere. And I, um, yeah, it was bad. And it, um, so that's interesting. So around the five week mark, it sounds like you really develop quite a serious toxicity. Um, and, um, And I guess how, how have um, have these symptoms evolved over time since then? So that period lasted about eight months. Um, I did 
learn some things in that time. I went to the doctor and they tested my thyroid and my TSH was 23.6 and my TPO was um, 405. So I was diagnosed Hashimoto's. I was really hypothyroid. So I was medicated from for that. But that wasn't really helping me. So they added a T3 medication because I found out also that I was not converting T4 to T3. And that helped a little bit for like a week, but then my symptoms would just keep coming back. And uh, that lasted about eight months. And then some things started to get better, like my vision got better. Um, my memory and my word finding and stuff got better because I started supplementing a lot of um, deficiencies that I, I realized I was had a really bad iron deficiency. And I just was kind of like, because I was so... Um, malnourished and had such bad malabsorption from my gut issues that I had had that I just wasn't absorbing. My my doctor said I was absorbing maybe 30% of what I was taking. So I had to start supplementing a lot of my deficiencies. And then I started to feel like I was functioning a little bit better, but my PSSD symptoms were, um, they just were endless and um, not just like genital numbness, but I also have full body numbness and I have burning and tingling and shocks like in my legs, my butt, my genitals, even in my face, I have like burning and have had shocks. And um, it just, some things feel like they got better with diet and lifestyle, but a lot of things have felt like they have progressed. Okay. And, um, so it sounds so vision, word, and some of the cognitive functioning has improved, I guess, with time, diet, lifestyle. But it sounds like a lot of the neuropathy and the neurological things have either stayed the same or got worse. Is that a good way of putting yes. it? For me, yeah. though, I feel like the neurological component of this is so strong because I just can't, I can't feel like stimulation and things like I used to be able to. So mechanically, like I can have an orgasm, I can have yeah. contracting of my muscles, but neurologically I can't feel nothing when it happens, um, except for like a shock on the side of my face and neck, but nothing else. And it's the same like with emotions or alcohol or um, I had three surgeries since I got PSSD and I've never been able to fill any of the medications that they give me. Um, it's just like a total breakdown in my reward system and my dopamine response and even responding to like how a person would have, because another thing I didn't have uh, spit or saliva. So it's like sweating's different. Like my body doesn't respond to stimulation and getting nervous and, um, getting excited or feeling stress. I don't feel stressed the same. It's just feels like um, I, I can't access like feeling things on a neurological level. So did, so did you just say you like sweating is like you don't sweat or you sweat too much? What's how did that change? Uh, I stopped, I stopped having sweat and saliva when, when I went through my withdrawal. Is that still the case now? It came back a little bit, but it's not 
anywhere what it was. And I've had all of the the Sjogren's testing. I just had a lip biopsy, a salivary gland biopsy, and it was negative. So it's <laughs> still a bit of a mystery. But wow. Yeah. And uh, what about, do you have dry eyes as well? Is that? Yeah, eyes, dry skin. Okay. And I also have um, like a lot of issues with my voice and my throat, just always feeling very hoarse. And I used to love to sing and I can't, I haven't been able to since this happened to me. It just feels very constricted and um, like a chronic sore throat. I've been tested for strep throat and all sorts of things and everything comes back negative. Um, okay. Just um, so t- tell us, um, how, did, how did you respond to alcohol, you know, not, after this happened? Um, so I was in Hawaii when all, a lot of these symptoms started to present and the hotel, like had the free Mai Tais. So yeah. I tried it and I just instantly felt sick. I could not feel a buzz at all. I just felt nauseated. Um, and then a few times since then, you know, because it's been two years for me now, a few times I have tried just to test and I just don't feel that buzzed feeling. Okay. And if I keep pushing it to try, like maybe if I have another one, I'll feel it. I'll just start to feel very sick. Um, so I just okay. don't get that drunk feeling or that tipsy feeling. Um, describe the nature of the, okay, um, the uh sensory things yeah i know you mentioned numbness burning and tingling in your body could you just kind of describe more what that's like on a daily basis um so before everything went completely numb in that area there was like a lot of itching and then it just went completely numb and uh to the point of not being able to feel like my pee stream or temperature and the burning feeling is just kind of like, um, I feel like my body's almost like buzzing, like at a low frequency, like I have a TENS unit on me or something like that. It's just like a weird kind of vibration feeling, but it's not enough to where I feel pain. I just feel like it's just a weird feeling. And then, um, I don't know if you want to talk about that later, but I had a treatment where that actually went away. And then it made me re- more like I realize it more now that it I had relief from it, that it seems more intense now. Go for it. Yeah. What was this treatment that you had? Um, So I went to Switzerland and I had three inospherosis treatments, which is a type of blood washing or plasmapheresis where where they um, take out all of like inflammatory cytokines and autoantibodies and things for um, people with disease, like autoimmune disease or chronic disease illness and toxicity and things like that. And um, within an hour of the first treatment, like my brain fog completely lifted. I felt total mental clarity and my body stopped burning. I felt like pleasurable tingles all over my body, even in my head. And um, I was enjoying music. I felt like the color had come back in my life. I felt so good but it, it only lasted for six days, unfortunately. And then all of my symptoms came back. And um, how many, um, have you tried plasma phoresis since then? No, unfortunately it's, it was uh, for me to be able to go and do that was $20,000 on my, my own <laughs> out of pocket wow. expense. And there's, it was kind of like a, 
a do or die kind of situation where if, if this was going to work and fix it, or I was going to just have to live like this is a, a one-time thing. Wow. And so the, have you heard of other people um, undergo plasmapheresis with PSSD like you, or are you the only one you know of? There is one other person that I know of that there was a couple that had talked about doing it since I have, but I haven't got updates, but there was one person who got one treatment and they said that they had experienced some form of a significant recovery, but I don't think that that person has followed up with anybody since. So I'm not really sure. Wow. Okay. Um, so Tell us, tell us about your emotion, your, your emotional state um, on a day to day. What, what, what's that like? Um, well, I have three kids, you know, so I feel like uh, my I can feel love, but there's no reward. So I don't, I don't really feel when other people love me, and I have a hard time. Um, like being affectionate in the person that I was. And that's leaves me feeling like a lot of guilt every day. Um, I think I'm the most aware of it, but I just feel really trapped. I feel like I'm stuck in a, like a freeze mode, like flight or freeze, you know? So I, I feel like I'm stuck in freeze. Like I'm in here. I know that something in my body is not working right, but I cannot force my body to react to like sensory and stimulation like I know that I should and it, it's like very distressing I feel like it's an emergency and I don't I don't understand why people are not reacting to my situation how I feel like they should <laughs> that there's something seriously medically wrong with what's going on with me um but it, because it really is invisible um what's going on inside of me is invisible because my the mechanical part of my body is still working fine Have people noticed that you've changed? Um, like, I, I mean, being being a mom, it's like maybe like you don't really have that option. I mean, you kind of have to keep on going, right? You know, but like, do you notice that people that know you notice that you've changed since then? Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't have any of maybe a couple, but I don't have any of the friends I used to have. I don't do any of the things I used to do. You know, I used to be. I used to go 100 miles an hour with everything. I would. I worked out six days a week. I went camping every other weekend with my friends. I was a wedding photographer, doing 14-hour days, um, driving all over the state of Arizona, and uh, I was even mentoring people in photography. I was doing so much, and now um, my world is really small. I. I really am hyper-focused on PSSD and how to fix myself and hopefully how to be able to help other people. I see so much suffering on a daily basis. And just knowing that this can happen to me uh, without my consent and and without um, any warning has really caused me to not look at the world the same. And I um, most of the time, I just don't really know what to do with that. T tell us about, tell me about that. Um like how this experience has changed your perception of, of the world? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. Does it change? Because I want to say it changed mine. You know, when I when I started learning about all of this stuff, it really changed how I saw medicine. It changed how I saw everything. So I'm I'm just curious about your um kind of awakening when you went through this. I was always, I think, an optimist. I've been through a lot in my life. I'm a veteran of the the United States Air Force. I've I've given a lot, and I've um, I loved my life. I loved everything about my life and I was so happy and I have literally, I have everything I could ever want in life right now. I have a beautiful family and I can't enjoy any of it. Um, and the, the level of like violation that I feel is so bad that I just, uh, by the, by an institution that I felt like I could trust, you know, the people that gave me the med are the same people that, took my baby from my body, you know? So the type of trust that I had to end up here, it has uh, really broken me. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't know who to trust. I'm scared to take a Tylenol. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's very heartbreaking and, and traumatic. And I'm actually going to a trauma rehab center for PTSD in September because I've, realize at this point that that part of it alone is not something that I can deal with on my own anymore. Okay. And, and how do you, and I, I see, I actually see this a lot. I think there's a lot of the people that I talk to have these kind of PTSD type reactions to medications where, you know, having to go to the doctor, having to, you know, take a pill for like a genuine medical problem that they develop afterwards, it just sends them into a tailspin. You know, everything flares up and they feel worse. But how would you say this, like this trauma that you went through with the medication has manifested itself in troubling symptoms for you on an ongoing basis to the point where you're you're thinking about doing this rehabilitation yet? What, what, what symptoms do you think arise from that? As far as like emotionally or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, I feel like completely robbed of my life and uh, I feel traumatized on a daily basis. Um, having int- I'm married, so like <laughs> having mm-hmm. intimacy is very, very traumatizing because I either mentally have to tell myself that I can't try to get anything out of this, um, what I'm experiencing. Because when I try to get something out of what I'm experiencing, I can't physically like really participate and, or, you know, which means I mentally and emotionally can't. And so it's very, very traumatizing. It feels like a sexual trauma. Um, and then, sorry about my dog, but, uh, and then emotionally, I just feel like, um, I cannot give and receive in my, relationships with my children and my family members and my friends. And I just always feel, I feel paralyzed and I feel disabled by this in a way. And it just makes me feel like what kind of a future am I going to have? And I feel completely desperate to fix this or I just don't know if I can live like this. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to live like this. And how has, um, how has your husband responded to this? You know, like us learning about it. Was it, did, like, I know a lot of people say that 
you know, they go and they find a doctor, the doctor kind of denies that it's real. And then the, you know, family members, they either side one way or the other, or, you know, they'll either side with the doctor and just say, oh, you know, you've, you've got this going on or they'll side with like you or the patient and say, actually, this is real. How, what was it like for your husband um, going through this with you? Um, I think in the beginning, he thought I was having some sort of like a mental breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. He did call the police a few times um, because the things that I was saying um, were scaring him. And of course the reaction for that was just to um, put me, I went to a crisis center and they wanted to medicate me. Um, so kind of like what happened to Rosie, but not as severe because I got lucky in that they, they listened to me and they said, you know, it is the model here to medicate and we understand and we believe what you're saying. And uh, we're going to, they gave me a resource for like an herbalist and, and told me um, they just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to hurt myself. And then they let me go. But, you know, it's been really hard for me to even trust going to my husband when I feel certain things or when I'm going through it, because I don't know how he's going to react to it and what kind of situation I'm going to be put in because of that. So, um, it just really makes me realize that the only people that really seem to understand are the people that are going through this also. And so I really lean on the support of my, my PSSD community. Um, and then my husband, I just think he just wants his wife back and he doesn't know what to do. He feels very powerless. Has he come around now? Does he believe it's, it's a legitimate thing? Well, since, I recently have gone to a neurologist that is actually helping me and I've been showing him a lot of stuff for what I think is going on. Um, Everyone's kind of like, it feels like it's an all hands on deck situation now where people are starting to realize that this is a serious medical condition and, and um, they're trying to help me and be more supportive. Yeah. I, you know, I'm posting a video soon. Um, maybe it's even tonight about an interview I did with another PSSD guy, uh, Anmol. He's a, an Indian guy and, uh, he was involuntarily committed for three months in a, in a psych hospital in India and forced medicated, um, initiated by his family as well. And he lives with them. And we were talking about just how challenging it was to, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, when things get really bad with PSSD, your family is all you have, and and for him, it's pretty much all he has. You know, he has one good friend, but living with them kind of after essentially walking through that horror show, you know, it has been really challenging for him. So I think one of the really difficult things with PSSD is that it actually can cause this trauma within the family because, you know, when the you know the spouse or the parents, they don't believe the other person. And then they feel so desperate and hopeless. They go, oh, well, you know, the psycho, you know, the psychiatrist is like, I don't know what to do. Send her to the hospital. I guess I'll trust, trust the expert. And mm-hmm. it's incredibly traumatic, especially for someone who's been injured by a drug given by a psychiatrist to have to go and do that again. You know, it's awful. Yeah. So t- tell me about your uh, experience with your neurologist. Um, any, any interventions there that have been helpful at all to your symptoms? Well, I went to a neurologist uh, before this one, 
and I told them, you know, that I had PSSD and I brought in all the, the literature for PSSD and all of my symptoms. And uh, I, I asked for a skin biopsy, a punch biopsy for small fiber neuropathy. And I was just basically told that what I was experiencing was a coincidence and that it had nothing to do with the medication, with the antidepressant, and that I wanted, he said, I know you want to believe that this is real, that this is really happening to you, but um, he said, that's not how things work here. And he, he basically walked out of the room while I was still talking. <laughs> and so um, I had... I had a really long think about it and I found a new doctor. Um, I, I called around a lot of people to find a doctor that really specialize in autoimmune small fiber neuropathy because it's such a small handful of neurologists that seem to really specialize in that sort of thing. And so I went to this doctor and I just said my symptoms and I said the med, but I didn't say PSSD. I just mm -hmm. said I took this medication, I had the reaction on it. And then this is the symptoms I had coming off of it. And these are the symptoms I have today. And he did a full exam on me and realized that I couldn't feel temperature or pinpricks on a large portion of my body. And um, he was like, this really can't be anything else but small fiber neuropathy and dysautonomia. Um, he's like, I'm putting in the, the order for IVIG for you now. And I just had my biopsy last week and I should know when. Um, like five more weeks, the results of that. But uh, it seems that my symptoms all go along with like a very severe dysautonomia and small fiber neuropathy. And when will you get IVIG? He already put in the order. So I'm just waiting for the referrals and everything to go through before I start. But I do have a friend with PSSE that is currently getting IVIG and um, experiencing a significant recovery as he was nearly, um, he was bed bound and he felt like he was dying when he started getting treatment. So he's doing really well now. That's incredible. I mean, that really supports some kind of, in, you know, an autoimmune type um, 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 uh, cause, cause for this. Okay. Um, for me, it feels that way just because my symptoms have fluctuated and changed. And sometimes I'll have an intervention where I'll feel better for a week and then it comes back and it just seems to match a model of some kind of systemic constant issue that my body is like fight. It feels like my body is fighting to stay in this state of dysfunction. And no matter what I do, I can't get it to fix it. So yeah. I mean, I would be hopeful if you respond responded to plasmapheresis that IVIG will um, do it, and ho hopefully, I mean, you're not going to be forking out twenty grand for IVIG whenever you need it as well. Um, I'm lucky enough to live in a country where this is an approved treatment for the diagnosis I possibly will have under insurance. Mm -hmm. But um, the big problem with this is there's not there's so many countries where people can't even get a biopsy or get IVIG approved if they get diagnosed with fiber neuropathy. So even if this is a solution for a lot of people with PSSD, it is still a very grim diagnosis. And it's also, um, 
going to be very, very hard for people to have a next steps forward. And um, we're going to need a lot of help with this if this is if there's something to this and it can actually help people get out of this. Will you come on, come on again in about you know two months or something like that after you've hopefully you've had it and you've got your biopsy back? Would you be open to yes. me coming coming? Yeah, okay, yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, and what you said is really true um, that um, you're really limited by what what you have locally. Um, yeah. Even to find a doctor to be able to do this, like I'm so lucky. I live in a state where literally the top small fiber neurologists of the country happen to be where I am. So I'm I'm very, very lucky. And I would hope that I could try, that everybody would be as lucky as me to have the opportunity to get help and to get better. I'll tell you what, if, if, if you come back with a positive biopsy and then, um, you know, you respond to IVIG. I'm, I'm going to have you put me in touch with him so I can, you know, get his impressions on what's going on because that would be really yes. interesting as well. Um, will you still, will he still go ahead with the IVIG even if you the biopsy comes back negative? I was under the impression that because I know that the biopsy is very even under the best circumstances there's still a chance of a 20, like 10 to 20% chance of it being a false negative. Um, Mm -hmm. It's in a a book that I read called Small Nerves, Big Problems by Dr. Levine. And it's just, uh, it is the gold standard in diagnosis, but from what I understand, a doctor could still diagnose you with a negative biopsy if there's enough proof with symptoms and autoimmune biomarkers, um, which I do have because I'm also TSHDS and FGFR3 positive which are very rare autoantibodies, but they um, there's, it shows a rare form of autoimmune small fiber neuropathy. And you can still have autoimmune small fiber neuropathy. Only maybe 20% of those people will have these autoantibodies. But if you have the autoantibodies, the chances of you not having autoimmune small fiber neuropathy are pretty much none. And so um, having those biomarkers with my symptoms and the other testing that he's done, I think that I, I'm pretty sure I could say this, the IVIG will happen um, regardless. But I'm pretty confident the biopsy will be positive because the lab that he goes through is like the top lab with the best reference ranges. And the fact that I just I have full body numbness to the point of when I sit in the bath, I cannot feel the water line on my skin. I cannot feel the shower water hitting me. Um, I can only feel that the water's hot in my hands and my feet. I can't feel it anywhere else. So for me, I feel like it's it's more severe than other people. Let's let's pick up here. So let, let's talk about um, the location of the biopsy. Where did the doctor decide to um, take the biopsies from? So I got three sites. I have uh, like the top of the back here, and then upper thigh and the ankle, the ankle all on the same side. Okay. Is it um, is it painful the biopsy? Like how, like how big of a section of uh, skin tissue do they remove? Um, it's actually kind of interesting because when she was getting ready to put the lidocaine in for the ankle, she was like, "You can scream, you can curse, but you can't move." And I actually didn't even feel the needle um, for the lidocaine in the ankle or my thigh. I didn't feel it at all. Uh, and then the rest, like obviously, was it just felt like a pressure, like. 
the pinprick pressure was was all I felt from the, the whole thing. And it was maybe 10 minutes to do all of it. It was really, really a lot less what I thought it was going to be. Right, right. Um, going, okay, so I think, I think that's uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about. And do you have, have you had any changes in urinary frequency? Uh, yes, from the beginning, from my, my PSSD, the start of my PSSD, I always feel like I have to go, but I feel like I can't go. <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest thing. Um, just trouble okay. like being and then always just going so many times. So you feel like you need to go, but then not a lot comes out, I guess. Okay. And um, how has your appetite been affected by PSSD? Well, I mean, it's twofold because I still have very bad GI issues. The alternating diarrhea and constipation is constant. And also I don't feel hunger. I can't, I don't have taste or smell really. It's very dulled. And um, I'm just pretty much down to eating one solid food meal a day um, to deal with my GI issues. And then everything else is in a blender. As I went to a naturopath and like doctors to try to help me with this to maximize absorption and just doing that with food that is very tiny and very nutrient dense so I can absorb the most that I can out of it because I never know if I'm going to going to be stuck in my stomach for five days or if it's going to come out in 10 minutes after having it but it just doesn't seem to um my digestion just is not keeping me healthy right now it's a huge problem mm -hmm. and um the do you have a lot of um like the fatigue as well. Like I've heard it described as, you know, it's, it's twofold. What I've, what I've heard one is just like, you know, there's no anticipatory joy about doing activities. You're just like, oh, I'm not going to like it anyway. And so it's kind of hard to have that motivation come up, but some people just feel like totally laid out. You know, they just, they're just, they're actually just like totally exhausted. I, I was wondering if you could kind of comment on, on fatigue and motivation for you, what, what that's been like. Um, well, February of 2022, I got COVID. And after that, I had like a really, like a train wreck response to that. And uh, that's when I really got fatigued from, from, I think, like a long COVID type situation. And it also mm -hmm. caused me to, um, because I had a double mastectomy, I uh, had reconstruction. And in four months um, of having those implants my body i developed 40 sim, 40 plus symptoms of breast implant illness in four months um after i got covid so i was basically like on my deathbed and i couldn't stay awake more than like a few hours out of the day and i had those implants removed um june of last year so almost a year ago and my feet fatigue did get better but the inospherosis it was completely gone my fatigue completely went away but now it's starting to come back a little bit uh where i just right. have like hit a wall at least once or twice in the day where i need to go take a nap or something um do you f have you had any changes in like um well like actually no i mean you're always having gi problems now 
Have have you experimented with uh, ultra restrictive diets or anything like that to see if that made a difference? So since I was diagnosed Hashimoto's, um, I think three months after my withdrawal, I dove into a program by Isabella Wentz. Um, she's like the Hashimoto's expert. And I did the elimination or the AIP autoimmune protocol diet. Um, I've been on the strictest version of that for over a year, since November 2021. Um, I have reintroduced reintroduced some things like sugar and grains um, on occasion, but mostly just avoiding all of things that cause inflammation that will upset my stomach or cause any problems. I seem to be reacting just like with everything, just like with supplements and medications. It seems to be the same with food. Like I'm just very sensitive and I react to everything um, seems to be able to affect me. Okay. Um, that's really interesting. Okay. What was the name of the author of the diet? Isabella Wentz. And she does uh, the Hashimoto's protocol. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I at this time, I don't have any more questions um, except just a statement that I cannot wait to hear from you like in a couple of weeks. I think it'll be really exciting just to, and I mean, even if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will and, and everything like that. But uh, whatever the outcome, it's a really important story because that's what this is right now. I mean, there's no... I don't think there's any clinical trials in humans looking at this kind of stuff. So it's just people trying things. So this is kind of like the cutting edge of research for PSSD. And it's kind of you right now. Yeah. Well, I think it, it definitely, um, and the people in the PSSD community know this, that it just really started with one patient in Finland, my friend that's getting treatment now that had a really great team of doctors that decided to hunt down what was going on with him and what this was. And they just started running every single test that they could. And um, that's how he got the diagnosis as with my fiber neuropathy. And that's, it's kind of uh, inspired a lot of other people to get the same testing. And so far I know several who have tested positive, some that are starting getting ready to start treatment also, and some that are in countries where they have told them they're not going to do anything for them. So Okay. It's uh, difficult, but I think something there possibly. Yeah. Um, some people believe that it might be a just a condition that we have in addition to having PSSD. Um, but I guess we'll see uh, if we're able to improve. Then we'll know. Okay, great. Well, Kelly, any any final words you want to say before we wrap for the day? Um, I don't. I just want to thank you for helping us. And I really don't know what I would do without the PSSD community. And I really feel like there's a lot of people on there that are um, trying to work together to try to help solve this and also being very supportive of each other. And just knowing that if anybody who is watching this, that it doesn't feel like they have anywhere to turn to and they're going through this, that there's a whole community of people that are going through the same thing as you and you're not alone and you have support and we will i believe that we will get through this that we will find a way awesome well kelly thank you so much for sharing your story and uh i'm, I'm going to be searching my inbox in about you know six to six to eight weeks looking looking for a follow-up email okay yes all right thank all right. you thank you bye
thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.